Oh, thank you. I knew there was something else. <laughs> um, so I can't help but start our, con our discussion of, of Romans 3 without briefly touching on Pastor Matt's sermon from Sunday. And so he was continuing his series on the discipleship journey with the habit of the confession of sin. And he took us to 1 John 1. And so um, I gave somebody part of that passage, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So here's John. Oh, first John one, five through ten. He Matt did one through ten, but we only read five through ten today. Um, so here John is talking about the sin of mankind being completely opposed or being the, the complete opposite of God's nature. And this is the same thing that Paul has been saying. Now, not going to rehash the entire sermon. You can find it on Facebook or YouTube or the website for the church. Go listen to it if you haven't. Um, but but he, I do want to highlight a couple of things that he said. Uh, first, he, um, Pastor Matt talked about our sin being a barrier to our relationship with God. We can't see the light when it's blocked by a wall of darkness. And, and we're to that point in the year where for at least a couple more weeks, I have to have a flashlight to make it down the street to the bus stop, right? And, but if I, I can't see the kids, if I shine it on the car that's parked on the side of the road, because it's blocked, right? We can't see the light when it's blocked by a wall of darkness. And he asked the question, Matt asked the question, are you doing something that is a barrier to the light? Then he talked about saying things that lead us to underestimate our own sin. And he asked the question, how quick are we to explain our sin rather than confess our sin? And then he, he talked about the, a denial of our sin being related to pride. And, and I wrote down, now, let me say, this is what I wrote down as and quoted him, but if you watch it, it may be slightly different, but just, this was as close as I could write down as fast as I could write. Matt said, when we hide our sin, we start to believe that it isn't really there. And then he said that the answer to all of this is to confess our sins. He said, be humble, admit it to yourself, to God, and to others that you sinned against. But then one of the last things he said about confession was this. He said, we confess sin because we know we are covered by the cross. And this is the point where we're at 
with, with Paul. In, that's where he's headed in Romans 3. Paul wants us to recognize our sin and to admit that we are sinners. He wants us to see that we do not deserve to have fellowship with God as sinners because what we do deserve is wrath. Paul wants us to see the reality of the situation and, and not the picture that we've painted for ourselves or for others to believe. So as I, as I was reading Romans 3, 9 through 20, I almost thought of an argument in court. And I'll, I'll describe it more as we go, but um, I have someone reading Romans 3, 9, and, and I kind of saw this as sort of the, the charge the, the accusation that he's making. So um, Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than men? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So this, this is kind of where Paul's been heading since Romans 1, 18. So for the last three weeks, we're kind of heading to this verse. This was the whole point. Um, and as we, as we start here, but read through our whole passage, there's a couple of key words that we're going to see. And, and those are all and none or no one. And so what does all mean? All. All means all. So what does none mean? None. 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 So before Ray will perform a, a wedding ceremony for, for a couple, he, he and I will sit down and we, we will do premarital counseling with that couple. Um, in some cases, they've been through it elsewhere. Um, we had a, a couple that was living in North Carolina in college, but was, was coming to Kentucky to be married. Um, so we just have a, a, a shorter meeting with them because they're doing the whole full-blown counseling elsewhere. But every time, we encourage them to read the book Sacred Marriage. And, and the subtitle of the book is, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? An excellent book, by the way, if you even if you've been married for a while. Um, but but every time we go through this book and and the counseling, whether they're doing it elsewhere or with us, we make sure we talk about how to fight well. Now, I know that seems odd, <laughs> but when you put two sinners together for the rest of their lives, there will be disagreements. That's what Paul's telling us, right? <laughs> Um, so one of the things we tell these couples is that when they are fighting and are in the heat of the moment, they should work hard to avoid using the words always and never. Things like she always locks the keys in the car, right? And he never puts the toilet seat down. <laughs> these, these always and never statements are exaggerations. <laughs> Has he really never once put the toilet seat down? Does she really lock the keys in the car every time she closes the car? These, these always and nevers are commonly used but are rarely true. But here, when Paul says all and none, he means it. When he says all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, he means all everyone, the whole of humanity, no exceptions. This statement right here in, in verse 9 is just 
he's stating the universality of human guilt. It's everybody. But Paul includes himself in this. So I have um, somebody reading 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So what does Paul call himself? Sinner. The worst. In, I, I'm not sure which version you have, but it could be the probably the NIV. That's what it sounded like. NIV says the worst. New Living says the worst. ESV says foremost king james new king james chief of sinners paul knows full well that as he is writing this letter to the roman church that he's not excluded from any of this he is saying all of these things about himself just as much as he's saying it about about the roman believers He's not accusing, he's not just accusing others, he's accusing himself along with them. And, and that's an important thing for us as we, as we start to look at sin. And we talked about it a little bit last week, um, I think, in our, at least in our small groups, um, about, about judging others us judging others or pointing out the sins of others and things like that. But the, the key is Paul's pointing it out, but he's, he is very well aware of where he stands in this whole thing. So we have our charge, we have our, our accusation, and then we get to some of the evidence. And so um, Romans 3, 10 through 18. This is this one's uh, this passage is kind of a summary of all that evidence from from before, but he's he's also using a lot of he's he's referencing a lot of Old Testament scripture so that the Jewish believers couldn't couldn't just say yeah whatever they they are seeing that yes this truly is an issue. Um, so verses 10 through 12 sort of they t talks about the character of, of those who are accused. Because the, the, again, I'm, I'm sort of visualizing court here. Um, uh, so he's the, about the character of the sinner. Uh, if you want the verse that Paul is referencing, it's Psalm 14, 1 through 3 is for verses 10 through 12. Or yeah, 10 through 12. But what are some of those things in verses 10 through 12 that Paul says about the character of those who are under sin? 
non-righteous. They're they're unrighteous. None is righteous. They don't understand. They don't understand. There's an ignorance. Now this ignorance of the of God is different than intelligence. I have a brother-in-law who is amazingly smart. Um, he's a math professor at a college in Kentucky. He's constantly learning new things. He wants to soak up all the knowledge he can, but he does not understand the faith of my parents or of Ray and myself. There's an ignorance that is separate from, from intelligence. What else does it say? Not seeking God. They are godless. What else? There's tongues speak deceit. That's the, so that's in verse 13. We'll get to that one in a minute. But um, they are, they have, in verse 12, they have all turned aside. So they sought their own way instead of God's way. And then, um, it says, together they have become worthless. And we talked a little bit about that worthless, that um, part of the, the metal that was, had too many impurities that they just threw away because they couldn't use, right? That, that's the idea, the picture of worthless. So then in, in verses 13 and 14, he starts talking about their tongues. Here he references um, Psalm 5.9. Psalm 140, verse 3, and Psalm 10, 7. I will say those again. Psalm 5, 9, Psalm 140, verse 3, and Psalm 10, 7. So the, the ungodly display their fallen nature when they open their mouths to speak. Um, the New American Commentary said, God provided us with the gift of communication so that we may honor and praise our Creator. We tend to take the gift and place it in the service of our own sinful nature. And it, it sounds kind of odd when it says there in verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Um, think about why a grave would be covered what was it that Martha told Jesus when he said, when, um, after Lazarus died? Yeah, the, the, my favorite is the King James Version, he stinketh, right? <laughs> the, the ESV says, by this time there will be an odor. Uh, that's in John eleven thirty nine. by the way. There's a reason we cover a grave. Um, but it, it, it's so you won't see the decay, you won't see, you won't smell the odor. It's out of respect for the dead as well. So if their throat is an open grave, what are the things coming out of it? Rotten. It's rotten. The ugliness of their heart. The ugliness of their heart. Mm -hmm. oh, there's, it's filth, right? Mm -hmm. Just filth. On a Saturday morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. He stinketh. <laughs> Be sure to use that word. <laughs> the the books of Proverbs and James are full of talk about the tongue. But Jesus also talks about this. Um Matthew twelve, thirty-four and thirty-seven. 
glorified, and by your words you will be condemned. So our words <clears throat> condemn us. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Uh, Solomon, James, they all have said this. Uh, um, and one of those ways is by lying and deceit. You know, they use their tongues to deceive. Sometimes we think little lies aren't that bad, right? Um, Potiphar's wife told a little lie about Joseph in Genesis, right? What was that? What was the result of that lie? Well, he lost his job. He lost his job. He was put in prison. How long was he supposed to stay in prison? Forever. Forever. He, he was in jail for the rest of his life. Uh, he was only saved from prison by, by chance's chance. You remember that one? By chance's chance, he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. Um, what about David's first encounter with Bathsheba? What did those lies lead to? Murder. Murder. The, de the death of Uriah. And then, and then the consequence was, was the death of their firstborn, right? Little lies grow into bigger lies, which lead straight to destruction. And so, um, so when we think about our sinful, our sinful, sin, sinfulness, we have to remember what's inside is going to come out of our mouths. And then in verses 15 and 16, Paul starts talking about the feet. Um, he's, this references Isaiah 59, 7 through 8. Isaiah 59, 7, and 8. Deceitful words lead to destructive ways. Sin always leaves a trail of heartache, pain, and despair behind, both for the person who is sinning, but also for the one that they have sinned against. So it's not just, it's not just a personal trail, uh, that, that, that that path is not something they walk alone. And then verse 17, uh, Paul starts talking about the mind uh, when he says, and the way of peace they have not known. Um, I forgot to write down where this one's from. Sorry. But, but the mind of, of a sinner does not know God's peace, and it leads to restless, restlessness instead of peace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if um, uh, we had our community group met on Sunday night this week, and and um, a lot of the community groups are doing sermon-based questions again, and so we were talking about actually talking about some of this in in that community group um, because of the sermon on confession of sin but just about the way that it can destroy, sin can destroy relationships, uh, even just from, from trying to hide it from somebody else. 
um, even if they aren't the one that was directly sinned against, it can still be a barrier. So uh, then in verse 18, we see some arrogant pride. And Paul references Psalm 36. It may have been that both of those were from Psalm 36. I can't remember. But um, he references Psalm 36 here, and we're going to read the whole thing just to sort of get that whole picture of Psalm 36 um, and what Paul is conveying. So I gave somebody, Elizabeth has it. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue to love, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness and the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. So Psalm 36, it's considered a lament um, it's, uh, on, the, uh, on the wicked that oppose the faithful and the love of God. But he uses um, he uses that word wicked in here. And um, Andrew found out last week, he was very excited to share with me that the, the spring musical at Mannheim Central is going to be The Wizard of Oz. And so that's obviously been sort of in, in my mind. Um, and because the, the teacher always does these like, she'll send out uh, just different words throughout the day until she announces it at the end of the day. And he's always like, we think it's this. Oh, no, it's not this. It, we think it's this now. And it, anyway, so the, but I think of wicked and I think of the, the good witch versus the, the wicked witch, right? And you, you think about that term just, I mean, the, the, the vast difference in in their their behaviors in the Wizard of Oz, but you think about that term "wicked," that it, evil and malicious and almost intolerable. And here, Paul referencing Psalm thirty six is saying that sinners are wicked. Right? That's that's us. We're that wicked witch. We've got that green skin and all. You know, that's that's who Paul is saying we are. So, so like I said, we were, I sort of envisioned a, a court legal thing. Part of that's because Ray and I are enjoying a show called Bull, 
Now don't spoil it for me because we're only on season three. We just started season three. We don't watch it as regularly as we would like. Um, but it's a courtroom drama. But And Dr. Bull, he's the, the title character. He's a psychologist. He owns a jury consulting firm. And so it's interesting that the way that he tries to come up with the arguments to and and sometimes he's on the side of the plaintiff other times he's on the side of the defendant and he's trying to decide which way is the best way to win over the jurors and in every episode there's a trial and in every trial both on the show and in real life things happen in the same order now obviously in bull they start with jury selection because that's their whole like premise but um, the, the plaintiff in a civil case or the, the state in, or the prosecutor in a, a, a criminal case, they get to make their case against the defendant. They state all the reasons that they brought charges or filed the lawsuit. And for a while, it always feels very slanted. And that the jury is always ready to convict at first because only one side is presented. And then the defense gets their chance to rebut all those statements from the prosecution. And slowly and steadily, the jurors start to be persuaded based on what is finally being said in court to, to defend somebody. So we've seen Paul here as the prosecutor lay out all of the evidence. And then we get to verses 19 and 20. Did I give that to somebody? Now we know that whatever the law So how do verses really 18 through 20, but 19 and 20 sum up the whole of Paul's argument for, for Romans 3? What's he saying? That basically we're to hold our tongue. Well, we're to hold our tongue, but he's, he's saying that we're, he's sort of delivering a verdict. We're all guilty, mm -hmm. right? Every unbeliever, whether Jew or Gentile, is under God's holy law and is accountable to him. And the whole, uh, Warren Wiersbe says, the whole world is guilty before God. There may be those who want to argue, but every mouth is stopped, or I think um, Joyce has said silenced. There is no debate or defense. The whole world is guilty, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews stand condemned by the law of which they boast, and the Gentiles stand condemned on the basis of creation and conscience. And it, and it says, so that every mouth may be stopped or silenced. No one has a response. So in the episodes of Bull, when the evidence is, is just irrefutable, uh, the defendant decides to settle instead of continuing to fight, right? They just, the lawyers meet and they go to the judge and they say, we've decided to just, there's, there's nothing left to fight. There's no way we can sway the jury. We're going to try to settle for less money or less jail time. They just want the trial to end. And that's kind of what Paul is telling us here. 
you have no choice but to accept the verdict of guilty. And, and, um, and Paul sort of starts a, a transition with verse 20, a transition to the rest of the book. He's, he's almost, he's, he's saying you should just be silenced, but he's almost anticipating the argument of someone actually living out the law perfectly. And he basically just reminds them, man is utterly incapable of keeping God's law perfectly. No one can do it. Even with the desire to obey God perfectly, it's impossible. That's what he's saying in, in verse 20. No human being will be justified in his sight. He's saying that the Old Testament law, is, um, in, in particularly dealing with the Jews, is actually proving that they are all guilty. And Warren Wiersbe says the best way to close this section would be to ask a simple question. Has your mouth ever been stopped? Are you boasting of your own self-righteousness and defending, your, and defending yourself before God? If so, then perhaps you have never been saved by God's grace. It is only when we stand silent before him as sinners that he can save us. As long as we defend ourselves and commend ourselves, we cannot be saved by God's grace. The whole world is guilty before God, and that includes you and me. And so this kind of gets us to that point that Pastor Matt was making about <coughs> not just acknowledging your sin, but confessing your sin when he was preaching on Sunday. And so... Um, so that concludes that section. I know it was fast today, wasn't it? But we're not done because um, we, we talked about instead of chapter themes that sometimes we were going to just group them by, by little chunks and sections. And so that's, um, that's the, the topic right now is, is if we're looking from... In, in particular from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20. What are, it, uh, let me remind you what theme is. Theme is kind of that, that overarching idea, that main point. There can be different themes. Um, that it, Not everybody is going to have the same theme. And if you look... Mine's all separated out, but it's that last page. Come on. There we go. That last page here where we have chapter theme, the Romans at a glance. So it's that very last back one, uh, or at least close to the last one. Um, that's where we're going to sort of keep track of some of our themes. And so what, what, because I asked you last week to think about it, what, what do you think our theme for this portion is or should be? Acceptance. Acceptance. Yeah, acceptance that we are sinners. Yeah. 
Any other ideas? Yeah, there's a problem and I am it. Yeah. Why is that the truth? We cannot stand before a holy God in our sinfulness. Yeah, we cannot stand before a holy God in our sinfulness. I just yeah. put non righteous. Yeah. There are non righteous. Non righteous. Yeah. No diplomatic immunity. No diplomatic immunity. Yeah, so any of those or any anything, I mean, there's really a lot that it just felt like we could do chapter one. No one's righteous. We all deserve God's wrath. Chapter two, no one's righteous. We all deserve God's wrath. Chapter three, no one's righteous. We all. So that's why I sort of grouped them together. Absolutely. Yeah, because if we don't if we don't recognize our need, we're not going to recognize the, him. Yeah, yeah. So that um, yeah. So any of those would be good. And then next week we get to get a little bit a little bit lighter. We get to move out of. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to my mom that this week. It's like, yeah, it gets hard the third time that you have to say, we deserve God's wrath. <laughs> and so we don't quite get to do quite the same thing next week. So um, I am looking forward to it at least. So uh, if you don't know where your small group, who your small group leader is or where you're meeting, find Elizabeth or Sandy because one of them has, has that.